Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 130 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans, and what's left of Husker Nation. <laughs> yes, we welcome all of Husker Nation and the rest of college football to today's right. podcast. Uh, so th- <laughs> for those of you who may be listening to the podcast for the first time, we are our father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And we'll be focusing on our team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the wider world of college football. And today we'll be discussing Nebraska's game against Oklahoma, as well as the firing of our defensive coordinator, Eric Schnander, and the big games of week three of college football, as well as a belated uh, discussion of the expansion of the college football playoff to 12 teams. So a lot to get to today. Yes. Yes. And I'm sure we'll talk about the... A couple of these subjects many times again. Oh, yes. There's always plenty to mine in the world of college football. Absolutely. Uh, But before we dive into all that, we're going to stick with our tradition and crack open a beverage. Uh, Yes. Today I have uh, another beer from uh, Kona Brewing Company. It's the Big Wave Golden Ale. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. And I am drinking... Uh, uh, a Bell's Oberon. Bell's is a is a Michigan-based uh, brewery out of uh, Comstock, Michigan, uh, and the Oberon uh, beverage is a very very popular um, uh, summer American wheat ale. They call it, uh, but they only produce it in the uh, in the summertime, and then once once the season is over, then they they stop producing it. So uh, I'm enjoying one one of the last beers. Uh, of the Oberon variety for the series for the season. There we go. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Okay. Attentive listeners will probably be able to tell that we're back to uh, remote podcasting this week after being together for the last podcast. Um, yes. We were both in uh, Traverse City, Michigan for the Saturday where the Oklahoma Nebraska game was played. Um, however, both of us were busy that Saturday, so we weren't able to uh, watch the game live. Um, and both of us were anticipating, you know, that we could very well get blown out. Um, so it wasn't exactly one that we were eager to watch, you know, to begin with, per se. That is correct. I I, I uh, kind of made it clear that um, I uh, didn't anticipate this was going to go well for Nebraska, and that really the the next four games are the ones that I'm going to judge, you know, are we making progress or not as a team with different leadership? That's right. And we did give our predictions on the last podcast. Uh, I was very much on the optimistic side uh, and gave a prediction that Oklahoma would win 49-42, whereas you predicted a more lopsided 56-14. Right. And I predicted that they would score 49, which turned out to be correct, uh, but you were more close in terms of the spread of points. <laughs> yes, yes, boy, that's that's reaching to give yourself credit for that. <laughs> hey, it's something. I'll take what I can uh, a get. Lot. Because <laughs> uh, the final score ended up being forty-nine Oklahoma, fourteen Nebraska. Um, I, I actually 
I was driving out to a friend's house on Saturday, and I caught the first three drives over the radio, listening to the Nebraska broadcast of it, which was um, a qu- pretty quick stop by our defense of Oklahoma's offense, the nice drive by Casey Thompson and the team down the field to quickly score a touchdown. And then we were had him on like third and seven or something uh, on defense. And the Oklahoma quarterback breaks out of this pass and runs along the sideline for a touchdown. And that was right, right. around the time I arrived From- at my friend's house. <laughs> and that was like 60 yards too, right? Like it was, yeah. I think- it was a long one. It was a long Dis- one. Disgusting. Yeah. Yep. And then we were, and then we never uh, did a damn thing after that. Right. With the exception of one touchdown in the fourth quarter when we were well out yeah. of the game. We were playing their playing their scrubs basically. They we were playing their second and third teamers. Right. Yeah, I ended up watching some of the game on YouTube just to get a general sense of what was going on. Though I didn't watch the whole game. Um, and one thing that was clear was uh, Brett Venables, who's Oklahoma's new coach and was the defensive coach at Clemson. Uh, he was coming in with a heavy blitzing strategy uh, that uh, was really getting to Casey Thompson. You know, it was uh, pretty sad sometimes how easy it was for them to get in the backfield. Um, and eventually we swapped him out for our second team quarterback, Chuba Purdy, I think mostly to try to uh, avoid him getting too beat up. Well, and, and, and just needed, we needed a change. We needed to try somebody else, right, um, to figure out what the heck uh, c- can we do, you know. But, but the reality is is that our offensive line was simply not up to the task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we knew was going to be the case because the offensive line has been a point of concern in the games against far lesser talent than uh, Oklahoma has. Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Um, But we did have, like we said, we had that nice offensive series to open the game where the offensive line was giving us some protection, creating some holes for Anthony Grant to run through. Um, And uh, one other note of positivity I did notice on our defensive side of the ball um, was that I did see some better tackling in the sense that even if we didn't like fully wrap a guy up and bring him down immediately, our guys were going for the legs more, you know, at least holding the guy in place, you know, so then right. the rest of the team could get there to take him down. I, right. I definitely noticed an increase of that compared to last week. The previous games. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we are working on it, but again, uh, you can't, you can't fix an offensive line in one week and you sure as heck can't fix, you know, tackling necessarily just by emphasizing it for a day or two in practice the fact that we weren't aware or and weren't focused on that as a as a major issue for the team back in spring practice and maybe the early parts of fall practice is is a huge deal right and and it might take us till mid-season uh with another two or three weeks you know this we have a week off this week you know a bye week which hopefully will be used to do exactly that, uh, to be physical and to really work on tackling. Right. Yes, the bye week is definitely sorely needed for uh, Mickey Joseph to try to uh, get some more stability into the team, I would say. Um, Some interesting stats from the game. Uh, They ended up having uh, 580 total yards against us while we had uh, 327. Uh, Though the... 
uh, passing uh, completion was actually pretty solid. It was 21 of 31 with one interception. Um, and in terms of penalties, they had six for 65 while we had five for 40. Uh, and we had two sacks against them while they had four on us. It seems like there were more. <laughs> right. You well, so, well so that means he was getting the ball away at least. Yeah, he was getting the ball away and he was he was running for his life and getting away with it. Right. Right. Yeah, that definitely happened plenty. Uh props to the punter. There were seven punts for a total of 296 yards, so we were putting him to work this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's true. That's true. But you know, that's a game that you you, you you watch it with the with the team and then you move on, right? You you don't you don't dwell on it very much other than to say, you know, these are the main takeaways we we need to tighten up our offensive line play and we need to tackle better and we need to understand our assignments and play at 100% speed. Right. Definitely. Um and one unfortunate thing that did come of the game was that AJ Allen, uh, one of our running backs, um, got hurt in the game. Turns out he's going to be going through surgery and will be taking a red shirt, will be out for the rest of the season. Um, he was the clear kind of second best running back to Anthony Grant. But I remember when we were watching uh, the Georgia Southern game together, you had mentioned how his smallness was going to be a problem, you know, and his uh, being prone to injury and all that. Okay. So my issue with that is, is that, uh, when a small guy like that, it would have been much better if we had been able to either utilize him very little or even red red shirt him this year, uh, so that he had a chance to get a little stronger physically before we put him into the demand of the program. You know, that's, that just happens over and over again. It's, it's also why our, our offensive linemen are getting hurt. We've got to be able to, you know, Scott, our former coach, used to talk about the fact that you gotta, you gotta um, get old and stay old, and 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 we're not doing a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you can see why they wanted to put him in, right? Because he clearly has uh, good eyes, you know, good speed. Yeah. You know, he he yes. can be an asset to the team. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that definitely is a bummer, means more, there's going to be more pressure on uh, Anthony Grant. Although, there was another running back that we were... Irvin Jr. Right, was he was who we were playing later in the game, right? Correct. And and we also let um, um, Yant have a few carries, right? So, so we've got some depth at that position that should allow us to continue to be effective if we could actually make a hole for a running back to run through. Right. Yeah. And right. And the other kind of part of the game that's worth really talking about from the Nebraska perspective is, yeah, in the fourth quarter, like we mentioned, uh, Chubba Purdy, the second team quarterback, had a nice series where he, you know, drove us down the field for a score, you know, sometimes tucking the ball and running it himself. Um, And I did like that it was a uh, obviously, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it was against Oklahoma's, you know, second teamers or whatever. Um, but it was more of the progressive, just getting first down style, right? Like there were a lot of third downs in that drive. And I think there were over like 13 or 14 plays. Um, exactly. It was actually a beautiful drive. Yeah. You know, if, if, if I didn't know that it was, it was being done against, you know, the younger players from Oklahoma, but, but I agree with you that the decision-making 
uh, and the play calling lended itself to uh, getting first downs and moving the chains. Right. And, and you know, that's been a pet peeve of mine forever, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, again, lack of patience among our offensive coordinators over the years to recognize the value of just remaining, uh, uh, get worry about the first down. Get the damn first down, and the touchdowns will come. Right. Very true. Yeah, we've talked about that plenty on the podcast before. Um, so then one surprise we were given after the game was that it was announced that uh, Eric Schnander, our defensive coordinator who's been with us under the Scott Frost era, uh, has been fired. Um, and he's being replaced by Bill Bush, who is the special teams coordinator that was just promoted that position this year. So now he's the defensive coordinator. And Joey Connors, who was the like quality control special teams assistant, uh, is now the main special teams coach. Um, so another interesting shakeup amongst the coaching staff. Um, obviously, people generally have put Shenander, not saying that he's putting him on a pedestal or saying that he was great, but at least saying that he was pretty good amongst our coaching lineup in the past, right? Because we had pretty good defenses, you know, overall it was more the offense that was often what was losing us games. Um, But then this year we've seen a huge step back. Part of that being due to uh, players leaving the program. But then, you know, you also have to wonder if Shenander, uh, didn't put his all into the coaching this past year, maybe because of the whole Scott Frost situation, right? And knowing that it was likely he'd be looking for another job in a year or whatever. So um, we'll have to see if uh, this change helps us at all or not. Right. Uh, and and uh, it, it will only help us if uh, schematically and, uh, and in terms of our, our preparation, um, did um let's see here did we do that you know i mean did did actual changes happen that led the players to be able to play better did we are we going to simplify the defense all that sort of stuff and and that's uh where i would argue shenander's uh weakness was is his ability to adjust you you can recall again over the last few years of uh of our discussions how many times i complained about our inability to adjust. Right. And for example, one specific thing I can think of is in the Georgia Southern game, um, we switched to more of a zone defense in the second half, uh, which did help us slow them down compared to where we were in the first half. Uh, But it's a little odd that it took us a whole half to make that adjustment, right? When, you know, you could have done that after a one quarter or whatever, you know? Well, Except that they had a game plan, right? And so they had probably devoted to uh, a majority of their practice time to, you know, trying to man up on these guys. And then when they started going to more of the zone, you know, the players were not as repped in preparation for that and and weren't performing very well uh, or, or they maybe just flat out didn't even try because they didn't have confidence in it as a coaching staff. Well, you can't be caught without enough defense. You know what I mean? You you have to have prepped and repped um, various circumstances throughout the uh, spring practice and fall in preparation for the season to know how to do that sort of stuff, right? I mean, you got to be able to do both. You, you can't just sit in a man 
and say that you can have that as your primary, but you damn well better be able to go to zone, right? Right. And uh, and yeah, th- th- those are things that again, it's about it's about quality repetitions. And I question whether we were getting that on either offense or defense with Scott Frost's staff. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Um, so as you mentioned, we have a bye uh, this upcoming week, uh, which will be helpful for us because we've already played four games this year. Um, and our next opponent is against Indiana, who, who's currently 3-0. and um, Some of those wins were pretty close, like against Illinois and things like that. Um, and they're playing Cincinnati this weekend. Um, but that's, like you say, this next stretch of like Indiana, Rutgers, uh, that's going to be the real test for uh, Mickey Joseph to see if we can, you know, hopefully solidly beat these teams, you know, instead of uh, coming down to these three-point losses like we've been having. Well, I, I, I'm, I would say it differently. I would say I believe that our, our uh, roster should be at least comparable to uh, Indiana's roster, right? Um, and so we should be able to compete with that program, with that group of athletes. Now, I, I will uh, I will concede that, I, you know, I have great respect for Indiana's coach, and I would anticipate his coaching uh, and staff are going to be ready, right? They're going to have a good game plan, and they're going to be ready to do that. Now, can Mickey do that? With two weeks, can he gather the troops, so to speak, and, and I mean specifically his staff, first and foremost, and put together a game plan that makes sense, right? And can he utilize these two weeks to get the defense and the offense with a different approach and mentality uh, so that they come out in the game against Indiana with a very different uh, uh, mindset and dedication to winning? Uh, Because athletically, we should compare with Indiana. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and I'll put extra emphasis on this Indiana game because – uh, it is at home, whereas then the following week we're at Rutgers, and the week after that we're at Purdue, and we come back home after another bye week for Illinois. Um, right. So if we can't beat Indiana at home, it's going to put us, you know, feeling uh, less confident going to away games with Rutgers and Purdue. Absolutely. Well, and and that's my point is uh, one way or t'other after these next four games, uh, we'll know very clearly whether. Uh, Mickey Joseph has any chance uh, at all of uh, of making the kind of change that would lead him to be a candidate or one of the candidates. If we don't do well in this four week stretch, then I believe that you know Trev would then have the open door, so to speak, to go ahead and announce, uh, select a new coach, and announce that new coach, um, you know, earlier. Right. I mean, he could he could accelerate his interview process and all that. Right. Because everybody would understand that Mickey's not a candidate. Right. Because you had mentioned that it could be a almost, you know, too much of a good thing in a way if Mickey does really turn things around, you know, and we're looking much better going into our last third of our season. Uh, But that's around the time that um, Trev would like to announce the new coach, but he feels like he can't because now there's momentum behind Mickey and what he's doing with the team. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And and there's a chance we're going bowling, right? Right. We win these four games. 
we're now at five five wins and with with whatever four four games to go and so um you know maybe we squeak out a win against a uh, Minnesota or uh Iowa mm-hmm. yep certainly possible certainly possible so one thing that we've talked about in the past we mentioned it briefly I think on uh, the two weeks ago podcast uh, was this um, report that the intercommittee for the college football playoff had decided to expand the roster of teams to a 12 team playoff instead of the current four team playoff. Now, none of that was uh, published uh, officially, um, but it, everybody, all the major news sites were running with it. So we can take it with pretty strong certainty that this is a thing that is going to happen. It's just a question of how exactly will they structure it? When are they going to announce it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we weren't able to talk about it too deeply at the time, but now we're going to dedicate some real time to it. Um, obviously, this came up last year with the whole 12-team playoff thing being considered. At the time, it was kind of rejected, was the story. Uh, but it seems like with uh, USC-UCLA moving to the Big Ten and that whole alliance between the Pac-10, uh, Pac-12, and the Big 12, or or was I'm sorry, it was the ACC, uh, that all kind of you know, fell apart a little bit, you know, the, the, the verbal let's play nice, uh, kind of thing they had going. Um, so it seems that may have accelerated this move to 12 teams. Is that what you would say? I, I would say absolutely that the, the, those changes certainly led people to say, okay, we, we need to move in this direction. Um, uh, um, because, uh, number one, they want the money and everybody knew that was true. And, but but equally important was, I think that the Big Ten commissioner and maybe some of the other commissioners, you know, had particular issues that were um, needed to be uh, resolved. They needed to be clarified before they would put their weight behind a twelve-team playoff. And so things like uh, having the conference champions be guaranteed to, um, you know, be in the championship uh, playoff. Uh, so those are the kind of details that have been worked out behind the scenes that allowed this to then kind of get approved by this particular uh, committee and will likely lead to a kind of rubber stamp approval now from the other groups that need to, uh, you know, view it. Right. And um, the exact uh, number of those conference champions and how that will all work out could very well change in the next year or two. Uh, because of all the shakeups with conference realignment, right? Like we've discussed, you know, if even more teams from the Pac-12 left to join the Big Ten or from the Big 12 or, you know, wherever. Um, we could be in a situation where we have four power conferences instead of five. Um, but for now, we're going to presume that we have the five that we currently have. So the most obvious thing would be to say that the five conference champions from the Power Five all get guaranteed uh, placements in that 12 team system. And then you have uh, one guaranteed champion from the group of five, whoever is like the highest rank for that year is also guaranteed in to give them motivation and, you know, get that political pressure off the uh, power fives back uh, with the other six positions being at large uh, bids. Right, and I, and I think that that is a very accurate description. I think, I mean, it, it it'll tweak a little bit, 
But generally speaking, I think that's the way that's going to play out with obviously the top four teams being given a bye week, right? Like there'll be the four teams that don't have to play in, in the first week. Right. Which, you know, uh, I think does a good job of still making, giving you a pretty big reward, you know, for having, um, yourself be ranked in the top four, right? Cause obviously not having to play that week, you know, and, uh, avoiding injuries and having extra time to practice and everything would definitely be a, a benefit. Um, I know some fans are clamoring for having these playoff games be played at college stadiums, right? Now that it's expanded to this wider pool of games, maybe have the first round be, you know, at the higher ranked teams, uh, campus, you know, and then go to the bowls for the later rounds. What would you think of that? Right. Uh, and I, I, I think that would be cool. I, I, I like that idea. Um, because you don't, you don't want all your teams having to travel to bowl like type environments, you know, for three or four weeks, right? You just don't want that. Uh, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. It's the logistics of it, the cost of it, and the focus aspect of it, are you really going to get the, the best quality uh, opposition uh, uh, if that's what you're putting the teams through? Right. And, oh, by the way, these guys are at the end of their semester, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, they are supposed to still be going to school. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and I know that's one thing that was raised in opposition to the idea of the 12 team playoff is that this is adding several more games that will extend the season into January. Right. So we're already kind of bumping into the holiday season. And now you're also getting into like the start of the next semester of school and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I am curious to see how the colleges kind of navigate that. Right. I agree. Um, well, I mean, again, the number of them that are really going through that whole gauntlet going to be two teams, right? Every other team, it's one less. And a lot of teams, it might be uh, two less or even just one and done. So, uh, but if you, if you have a conference championship game, so you're playing a 13th game in the conference championship game, and then you're playing the, a, a first round playoff game because you weren't one of the top four, that's a 14th game, right? And then you got two more games. So that's 16 games that that particular team is going to be playing, right? Right. Yeah. Now, I know in our conversations about the 12-team playoff from last year, I was actually a bit more on the advocating for the side of the 18-team playoff uh, just yeah. because, A, that way we're not expanding you know, so much so fast, and B, it helps to preserve the importance of the regular season, right? Because the bigger you expand it, the more that, you know, you could make arguments for two and three lost teams, you know, to make it in there. So if you make it 12, right, those uh, at-large teams that are on the cusp, right, who's number 11 and number 12, you know, there'll be quite a few teams that can probably make a reasonable argument as to why they should make it in, you know, and those uh, debates over the playoff committee's decisions will just get even more heated, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and you are you are completely accurate that, you know, we, there is all kinds of whininess and debate about who deserves to be number four. Now, you know how many more teams are going to have, like you say, a resume argument to be number 12. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be huge. And, uh, 
But uh, again, the other thing that won't really be a, a hard argument until one of those high seeds, uh, the 11th or 12th team in actually wins it. Right. Cause I guess the tricky thing now is because there's only four teams, you know, so it's really kind of do or die. And you're talking about the best teams in the country versus by the time you're getting to 12, okay, you had a good season, you know, but you're not like you didn't win your conference. You know, you may not have even been the second best in your conference, you know, right. Uh, you may have three losses, right. You know, you may be right. Bo Pelini, Nebraska. <laughs> right. Exactly. You, exactly. Uh, and uh, you just happen to lose to the three teams that were pretty darn good. Right. And so that was enough because of your other victories to get you in. Right. So, you know, we've discussed in the past about our frustrations with the current uh, four team system, you know, and it's preference for the SEC, right, and not valuing the winning your conference, you know, as the as such a high bar. So going right. to a system where you guarantee that the conference champions all make it in, which means all the conferences across the nation will all have an investment in the playoff is definitely a step in the right direction. I think everybody will uh, enjoy that. Um I guess just the question of like, kind of like I said, my my main worry would be kind of diluting the overall, uh, you know, importance of the regular season uh, because of you're expanding it so much. And maybe, you know, will we be able to keep that same momentum, you know, through now? Now it's not just two rounds of a playoff, but it's going to be four rounds. Um, so it's going to go on for like an entire and, month. And, and the injury toll, okay, uh, and or... Uh, if it's late in the season, right, and I could see a, a team that is solidly in the top group uh, maybe even making some personnel decisions, who plays and who doesn't, uh, uh, for uh, a late-season game. Okay, I, I'm, already, I'm already guaranteed that I'm going to be in my playoff, my uh, conference championship, I mean, right? I'm 11-0. I'm and uh, I, uh, I'm guaranteed, right? Right. And I'm, uh, I'm Nebraska. Let's just say because I want to project a future perfect scenario. And but uh, uh, Iowa is our final opponent, right? They're they're, they're our twelfth game. Do I not play some of my starters because I'm already in? I'm already going to be competing against either Ohio State or Michigan for the conference championship, right? So. I want to make sure I'm healthy or my quarterback is healthy for that game because he's dinged up from the 11 previous games. Well, I, I start my second teamer and I say he's unavailable for that week, right? Even though realistically he, he could play. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you can, you can see those, all those kinds of scenarios playing out much like an NFL team does. Right. No, there's definitely truth to that, you know, and like I get it might come down to questions, right, of, well, if we sacrifice the game here, are we risking not being one of the top four teams, right? Because being one of the top four and having that bye week, you know, is a valuable thing. Um, so but if you don't think you're in that discussion, right, but you're more focused on the conference championship, right, then you say, OK, well. Screw it. We can lose. We can afford to lose this game if we have to. We'll still play the conference championship chip game. We'll have all of our top guys there, and when we win that, then we'll 
have everybody a little more healthy for the playoff. Right. And we'll still be one of the top four, let's say, uh, and not, and be able to get the bye week or maybe we weren't going to be in the top four regardless. So we weren't even fighting for that. We already knew that we were kind of, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was far fetched to believe that we were going to end up in the top four. Right. Right. So, um, we're, our seating was going to likely be seven or eight. Well, then who cares where I'm going to make these conscious decisions that risk me losing a game because that, that game no longer matters as much as the bigger picture of winning the conference championship and winning. Um, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's just, I could see those kinds of decisions happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, though I am now, just as you're talking about, I am foreseeing, you know, cause, uh, the whole bias towards the sec, right. That can still come into play in terms of the rankings. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah. The six conference champions are all in there, but you know, we think that, uh, Alabama who lost the conference championship game, but had a great season, uh, still deserves to be number four, you know, above Michigan who won the big 10. Uh, so that means they get the bye week you know, even though right. they're not the champion. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. No. I, well, and, and that's the point. And, and again, this doesn't solve the problem of the, of the big 10 choosing on their own. So they self inflicted this because of what they thought the rules were going to be um, and how things were going to be evaluated. We chose to play nine games and play nine conference games. And, you know, the sec and the other conferences didn't or some of them didn't. And so that's not a level playing field. And that is going to continue to be an issue that will lead to the, the SEC having more teams in the playoff, even in years where the big 10 had greater depth. I mean, like last year's, um, you know, bowl season kind of pointed, pointed out the fact that yes, the SEC was the best at the top, right? Clearly. Uh, But the depth of the SEC was not as good as the depth of the Big Ten. Right. No, that's true. Um, and that's something that I think is has been rumored, at least. Maybe maybe they might reconsider that when they bring in UC, USC and UCLA, right? And if the uh, conference does expand to like 20 teams or something, right, that could be a time to re- revisit that scheduling idea. Um, right. So we'll have to see how right. that plays out. Um, yep. Yep, but clearly a tr- a time of significant change in the sport of college football, and yes. we haven't even spoken the word nil in this or <laughs> transfer portal, you know. So, uh, which are two other you know monumental changes, yes, in, in the sport that are still having massive ramifications. So, I mean, this we are on such uh, wobbly ground as a sport; it's not even funny. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Lots of things are changing. Um, so now we're going to move on to uh, talking about the big games from this past weekend of college football and look ahead to the games that are coming up this weekend. Give a little prediction to close out the podcast here. Uh, and the game that we uh, decided to do predictions for last time uh, was the Penn State Auburn game, uh, which was being held uh, at Auburn. Um and you decided that Auburn was going to win that one 31-24, while I predicted that Penn State would win uh, 27-24. Uh, 
Uh, in the end, Penn State did end up winning, uh, but it was by a much higher margin than I predicted of 41 to 12. Yeah, I, I think we both kind of uh, misevaluated uh, both of those teams. I mean, quite frankly, Penn State might very well be better than we thought, and Auburn is clearly not as good as I thought. Right. <laughs> now, having said that, I did watch a highlight of that game. Um, and like Auburn, like had some nice drives on offense, but then they were forced to for field goals. Um, so like in the first half, the game was close. And then I think Auburn had like a turnover near the end of the second quarter that gave Penn State an easy touchdown, like go up by 10 or something like that. And then in the second half, they just kind of started dominating. Like they had a running back that was got like two huge 50 yard touchdown runs or something like that. Um, so yeah, you know, I know Penn, Penn State, yeah, they had uh they've had some uh you know games that would make you kind of question their talent for this year early in the season, but this was a good defining win for them. Yes, it was. And well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens here in the next few weeks with Penn State. Are are they able to build off of that and really cuz they they clearly have talent. Uh the issue was they just weren't, you know, pulling it together. Maybe they have now, right? right? So we'll we'll start to see that. And Auburn, on the other hand, you, you, you know, with with I don't know what their schedule is over the next couple of weeks, but it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, and another team that's similar to Penn State in that regard is uh, Oregon, uh, who everyone will remember got crushed by Georgia in Week One, um, and they were playing against BYU, who was ranked twelfth, while they were ranked twenty fifth, um, and uh, Oregon ended up winning forty one twenty. Uh, so showing some of that, you know, Oregon offense that we'd expect to see from them, you know, great speed from a lot of their players and things like that. Um, so it seems right. like, you know, it's kind of a question of uh, what is it was Oregon actually bad or is Georgia just that good? You know, well, yeah. And I think it's it's a, a little bit of both that Georgia is absolutely that good, but also that uh, maybe BYU isn't as good as people thought. Right. Um, so early in the season, you just don't know. You gotta, you gotta let this thing filter through a little bit. And I think in the next week or two, basically once conference, uh, or non-conference games are over, uh, and we start getting into conference seasons by then, uh, by about the second conference game, you pretty much know, uh, what's going on. And, and, and then teams will continue to improve from there and some will, I mean, and others won't, uh, but but it'll start to become a little more clear. That's right. And uh, this one was interesting to us coming from uh, Michigan. Uh, Michigan State was playing against Washington from Pac-12 and ended up losing, even though they ranked number 11th, uh, 39-28. Pretty ugly game for Michigan State from what I saw in the replay. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, turnovers and missed tackles and things of that nature. So. Well, and I, I don't know if I mentioned it in the podcast, but I know I mentioned it in, in our conversations about the fact that uh, there was this odd stat that Michigan State had not won a uh, non-conference game against uh, the Pac-12, you know, where they were the away game. Okay, so let me, I, I didn't state that properly. It had, it had been since 1959. 12 games that that uh, Michigan State 
had lost every one of the times that they traveled out to the Pac-12 for a a uh, a pre-conference game. You know, obviously they've played the Pac-12 many times in bowl games and won, right? But when they actually traveled to the home field of a Pac-12 team, they have not won on that <laughs> since 1959. Yeah, well, kept the streak alive, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, that, that was a struggle for them. Um, and then uh, this one was pretty crazy. Uh, Appalachian State versus Troy, which was the center for college game day after Appalachian State's crazy upset against Texas A&M. And people recall that their first game was that crazy game where they lost like 64 to 62, you know, after they put up North 40, Carolina. Right. After they put up 40 points in the fourth quarter. Right. So App State's had a crazy start to their year already. And that continued with this Troy game where they were down, I believe it was 28-26 with literally two seconds to go. It was like they're at about midfield. So it was like a Hail Mary type situation. And the quarterback goes for it. And the the Troy guy bats the ball down like you're supposed to. uh, But there's a App State guy there who catches the ball as it's coming down runs to the outside, scores a touchdown, game over. They win 32-28, <laughs> fans storm the field. It's crazy. There's been some parties in Appalachia, Appalachian State uh, campus for sure. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen um, – there's a clip I on – I did. Well, yes. I, well, I was going to say, did you see the clip with the like Appalachian State radio announcers? Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. I'm sorry. Okay. I have to show uh, that to you because th- they okay. just, their mics just start peaking like crazy and they're just yeah, absolutely they're screaming. losing it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it is. So. Now, see, that's college football. That's what I want more of, dang it. Yeah. I want, I want the passion to return and the just genuine excitement for the young athletes that are out there competing as amateurs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and one interesting thing that I noticed because I watched the highlights for that game as well, uh, Troy actually purposefully, like on their last series, their quarterback like ran away basically from the a guy who was following him and purposefully yeah. got a safety like in the corner of the end zone, um, you know, and did it ran out of bounds. Right. Basically, he used up a bunch of time, time purposefully got the safety, right? So they wouldn't have to do a kickoff uh, okay. or, or rather a punt, right? They got to just do a standard kickoff. Uh, and then on the kickoff, they did, they didn't do a standard kickoff. They did like a kind of a muffed kickoff, right? Where it bounced and went to yep. 30 or whatever. Um, gotcha. So, you know, a bit of an odd decision that kind of came to bite them in the butt. Right. Wow. So. I, I, you know, I didn't even see the highlights of that one. I may have to go back and look at that. Yeah. Um, and then one last one here to mention an interesting upset. Uh, Kansas played against Houston in the Big 12 and ended up winning uh, 48 to 30. Um, now they have a, a new coach, um, newer coach. So seems like he's uh, doing some stuff at Kansas, probably making your uncle, Mike, uh, my uncle, Mike, your brother, Mike, a little bit happier about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mike is, uh, well, and he's hearing lots of good things, right? Uh, he's, he's amazed at what the transformation of that team in terms of its physical and, uh, you know, um, physical attributes. 
So their strength and conditioning coordinator, they're more mentally tough than they've been in years. So he's transformed them from a psychology standpoint. I mean, there's lots of good things going on in Lawrence right now. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see in these next few weeks. I mean, Mike acknowledges they still don't have a lot of talent. And so they're going to lose some football games because of lack of talent. But if he keeps going in the right direction, then uh, that kind of success will lead to a few more open doors in recruiting and uh, good things for the future. Mm-hmm. Very true. And so then uh, for the upcoming week four of college football, we don't have any Nebraska to look forward to or dread, depending on your point of view. Uh <laughs> But we are getting into uh, conference games, which has led to some interesting matchups. Um, one interesting one being Clemson versus Wake Forest, uh, which is being played at Wake Forest. Um, I think I saw a headline from your favorite uh, football analyst, Paul Feinbaum, uh, saying oh, that uh, <laughs> saying that this was like a must win for Clemson to uh, preserve their playoff hopes. Well, I, I would say that's true. Um you know, um, but I, I would also say that there's uh, there's a pretty darn good probability that Clemson's going to win it. Uh, but you know, that's Feinbaum just loved to say say stuff that drives clicks. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't I don't view him as a very credible you know um, uh, college football expert. Right. I view him as a as a guy who's just a blowhard. <laughs> That's why I said he's your favorite. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> definitely, um, absolutely. Well, I'll be interesting one to watch. Um, I thought this one would be interesting, maybe not so much nationally, but from the Nebraska fan point of view, uh, Iowa State versus Baylor, which is being played at Iowa State, um, both of whose coaches, uh, Matt Campbell and Dave Aranda, are uh, high on many people's lists for replacements for Scott Frost. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. Uh, me too. And I, and I know that some people would say that you're crazy if you think uh, Dave Aranda is going to leave Baylor to go to Nebraska right now, uh, uh, given, you know, recent history and, 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 you know, contracts and all that. But at the end of the day, um, uh, Nebraska fans can dream. So you're right. That's, that's absolutely a game that I'll have my eye on this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, another good one is uh, Tennessee versus Florida which is being played at Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is ranked 11th and Florida is ranked 20th. Um, so it feels like it's been a while since Tennessee has had like a really good uh, season. So it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, keep this momentum going. Right. I would agree. And, and this will be a good test for them. Cause I, I mean, Florida, you know, kind of uh, got kicked to the curb, but they don't lack talent. So it'll uh, that that could be an interesting game. And did you say that one's at Florida? Uh, no, it's at Tennessee. Oh, that that helped Tennessee a ton. And that's wh- a big that's a big deal. One interesting thing from uh, last weekend is that Florida played against Southern Florida uh, and they won, uh, but it was only thirty one twenty eight. So quite a battle it would seem. Right, right. I know. Um, and um, so I, I I presume that Tennessee is the favorite in this scenario but we'll yes. see yeah no they definitely are uh then there's number 10 arkansas versus number 23 texas a&m uh texas a&m who's playing at home after beating miami last week uh so trying to recover from the tough loss to appalachian state yes exactly well and arkansas is having a great season 
Mm-hmm. So that that's that's a huge game for you know SEC. I guess you'd call it SEC West implications because in terms of just positioning, right? Uh, because Auburn's not so great, and um, so um, uh, and Arkansas is just plump, pummeling people, right? They're they're running the football down people's throats. So I I am interested in that game just because I, I they're doing a kind of football that I enjoy, right? Now Dad always loves that, absolutely. Um, and then the Pac-12 we have uh, Washington coming off the win over Michigan State playing against Stanford, and it's well, at Washington. was it Wash it Washington against who? Uh, Washington against Stanford. Stanford. Okay, I, that's the part I didn't get. Yeah, and it's at home for Washington, uh, so they're definitely the favorites. Um, but Stanford's one of those teams you can never quite count out. No, that's true. But uh, I, I I feel like that one's that I would lean pretty heavily to Washington in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and then in the Big Ten, and this is the one that we'll be predicting for next week, uh, we have Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Uh, it is at Ohio State. Um, and obviously, Wisconsin has already had an upset loss uh, on their resume this year. So, um, you know, it's hard to say if they're going to be, you know, the same uh, dominant force in our division of the Big Ten that they have been historically. But do you think they can uh, put up a fight in Columbus against this uh, Ohio State team who did show some vulnerabilities against Notre Dame? Well, but I, I feel like uh, they're starting to find themselves, they being Ohio State, no, uh, is the quick answer. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, uh, like you say, I think, well, can Wisconsin keep it close and kind of hang in there? Absolutely they can. But I, I don't think they have the horses to stay with Ohio State. Not this year. Yeah, uh, I think Ohio State kind of played a nobody uh, last week, but they did like crush them uh, badly. So, yeah, I think uh, – um, their quarterback is starting to find his groove again. Um, I agree, which is a bad sign for Wisconsin. Yep, I would agree. So, so yeah, I, I'm definitely leaning to the to a, an Ohio State victory. It's just a matter of magnitude. The fact that it's in uh, Columbus certainly, uh, you know, lends lends uh, more credibility to to Ohio State winning and maybe comfortably. Right. Yep. Because. Ohio State's going to be motivated to make a statement, right? Yes. Right. They haven't had a statement win yet, so this is a right. good time to do it. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and predict that uh, Ohio State wins, but that Wisconsin, you know, is able to keep it close maybe for like, you know, three quarters of the game, and then maybe Ohio State kind of pulls away near the end. Um, so I will say uh, Ohio State wins uh, 41 41- to uh 24 okay well you know what um boy how do i how do i uh, work my way around that score that's a good score um i'm gonna say it's gonna be lower scoring though so i'm gonna say it's gonna be 35 17 okay ohio state victory yep both teams with good defenses for sure right and so the defenses will score and so the offenses are going to, you know, score two or three touchdowns each. Well, Ohio State will score four, and and you know what I mean, <laughs> right? Yeah, I get I get the idea. 
Well, that, that, you know, what's exciting is, is that, in fact, I was just talking with your mother about this was, um, you know, um, ironically, at least at this, at, as we do this podcast, I am not scheduled to work, uh, to drive on, um, Saturday. So I'm going to have a free day to watch college football. Uh, and, um, uh, it's a week of course that Nebraska is not even playing. So I don't even get to sit down and enjoy the, the Cornhuskers, but given that we're one and three, that's probably been a blessing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'll be able to sit down and watch that Iowa state game, which will be very interesting for me and some others. Um, so going to be a great, great weekend of college football. Yeah. I will say, uh, cause, um, we've had some, you know, uh, private discussions when we were together in Traverse city about the various options that are out there for, um, our new college football coach and Aranda's your number one. I think I agree. He'd be great. Um, but then we're talking about kind of about like second and third. And I, I think that Matt Campbell from Iowa state is a pretty good uh, pick. You're a little less confident in him, but if he pulls out the upset against Dave Aranda, uh, this weekend, what would you say to that? Well, I, I, I think that would speak to, uh, his ability to be uh, as a coach, which I've never questioned. I've always thought that he has been a good coach ever since he's been at Iowa State. I think he's demonstrated that pretty consistently. Uh, uh, the, the thing about him that uh, m- makes me less high on him as a choice for Nebraska's next coach is that he has not demonstrated the ability to recruit uh, to Iowa State at, at an enhanced level. And I believe that Dave Aranda has, okay? He's recruiting to a, you know, a small Christian school like Baylor, and, uh, and he's found a way to get some really talented players that end up playing in the NFL uh, and, and has competed with the Oklahomas and Texases of the world. Uh, so I, I, uh, that's why I'm feeling the way I am. It's, it's about, not about the coaching, but all the other aspects of being a head, head football coach. Right. No, yeah, there's definitely something to that. Obviously, he would have way more resources, you know, and Nebraska has better history and all that stuff than Iowa State does, which I think would help Matt Campbell in recruiting. Uh, but he may not yes. have that X factor that Aranda has. Exactly. Well, and I, I just, I, I so admired Dave Aranda as a defensive coordinator, and then he got his opportunity to be a head coach and has done something with it. But I would concede that Dave Aranda has not built a program, right? Matt Campbell has. So right. there's a thing there's a thing in Matt's corner. That's true. So. That's true. All right. Well, uh, we'll be watching a lot of these games this weekend. We'll see how Ohio State, Wisconsin goes. And we'll be back next week to preview more in depth the Indiana game for Nebraska that will be so crucial to the remainder of our season as well as uh, any other updates and upsets that inevitably will come our way uh, in this week of college football. That sounds like a good time. All right. Uh, so if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Spotify if you search for College Football Throwdown or on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love listening to the fans and getting feedback. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.